Praise God. You may be seated. God bless you. Praise God. I have a uh, a word from God for Antioch tonight. I say that without any trepidation or hesitation. And I pray that you would be able to receive that. I have had uh, had a good day, but something's just working. And uh, (laughs) I realized that there was an attempt to affect this service and me and my part in this service. And uh, when I realized that, I, uh, to be honest with you, I kind of chuckled to myself. And I thank the adversary for confirming to me I really am here in the will of God. Oh, that's not what he was trying to do, but... <laughs> If it was, if I'm out of the will of God, why would he fight that? Praise God. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you if you would, I, those that have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying and wanting to say to the church, I'm going to ask you to apply yourself here in prayer for the next little bit with me and let's just pray let's just pray that every degree uh, amount of opposition to the word and receiving the word would be uh, would be dealt with that you would have no hindrance to receive and you would not struggle with being connected with the spirit that is ministering so that you could receive and there would be a flow both ways here. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. We've come in your name. We've come in your authority. We've come with your direction. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, we take dominion and authority over every spirit of opposition and bind you in Jesus' name. We curse you and command you to go into the pit and bind you there in Jesus' name. We loose the Spirit of God and the angels of God, and the word of God, and the authority of God to minister in this place tonight, the rhema of God. In Jesus' name, I loose the the anointing upon us to receive, to hear. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Father, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church. 
in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I realize that um, because you sit in a situation where it's difficult to see what's, what all is going on, that you don't have the perspective for better or for worse that we have sitting on the platform. But uh, I, I have stood here at times over the last several years and been very concerned with what I felt. But I, I can tell you that for the last couple of months especially, I stand here and am very heartened, encouraged by what I feel. I see lives changing. I see people making fresh and new commitments. I see faith and feel faith rising up. And, uh, and I'm, I'm encouraged by that. Uh, I've been off crutches now for about two weeks. Uh, tomorrow will be nine weeks since I fell and hurt myself. And uh, my first trip was uh, two weeks ago, actually technically two and a half weeks ago. I went to Texas and for the second time was privileged to teach uh, the South Texas District um, prayer conference and uh, it was an awesome time there was a tremendous move of God and flow of the word and the Holy Ghost and uh, I uh, dur- during the time there as I was spending time in the word with the Lord each before, the couple of days before the meeting and then during the meeting the Lord showed me some things I'd really never seen before and uh, when he gave them to me uh, he spoke to me then that I would be sharing them with you this night, specifically this night. And I'm a big believer that God is in control and he's able to get people to church that are supposed to be here, and keep people away that aren't supposed to be there. And I don't mean that in a bad sense. It's just sometimes some people aren't ready to hear certain stuff. And I have to trust him that uh, he's in control of all that. And I want him to be in control of all of that. Praise God. So it is, um, it is with that understanding that I want to share this with you. I'd like first, before I start, let me say this to you. You know, there's, there's some wonderful people that's been here a long time. People have heard me preach thousands of times, literally. Uh, and some of you are going to be absolutely sure you know where I'm going in the first five minutes of this. I'm so happy to tell you that if you take that bait, 
you're going to be missing it big time. (laughs) Hallelujah. So rather than trying to figure it out in advance, why don't you just flow with me? And then you will be able to receive it. Uh, there's there's a few that are so they get kind of smug. I've had you know the Lord said each one of those things to me before you said them. Well, that's wonderful. If He does that tonight, then next time you'll have the microphone because that means He will have been telling you before He told me because I don't know exactly the details of what I'm going to say. So that would be amazing. Praise God. That's what I said in South Texas District. I said, you know, I, some of our, we have some precious people in our church that need to teach some preachers how to do it. Because there's some folks that knows what songs they're going to sing on Sunday night two years in advance. And God's never taught me how to hear from God like that. <laughs> so if you know everything I'm about to say before I say it, then. Man, I'd like to sit at your feet and learn from you because you're, you really got it. <laughs> Praise God. Luke chapter 21. I'm going to read three verses beginning with verse 7. Luke 21, 7. And if you would like, you're welcome to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God. Luke 21 and verse 7. And they ask him saying, Master, But when shall these things be, and what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? And he said, Take heed that ye do, that ye be not deceived. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near, go ye not therefore after them. But when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified. For these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. You may be seated. I'm reading those same three verses from Weiss' expanded translation of the New Testament. Then they ask him, saying, Teacher, when therefore shall these things be? And what attesting miracle will indicate when these things are about to take place? And he said, Ever be keeping a watchful eye upon yourselves, lest ye be led astray. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am he. And the strategic, epical time has drawn near and is now present. I I, I read that phrase in Weiss and was just, shocked by it. it was, it's so, it's such a pro, pronoun, uh, pronounced, uh, and profound, huge statement. I mean, that's just a, that's an amazing statement. And I, I, I wondered where in the word, where, where Mr. Weiss got such a, uh, a, a right to translate those verses that the King James doesn't really Say it like that. So, of course, I looked up the words. And uh, I found that the Greek word that's translated time in this situation doesn't mean time like in a passage of time. 
or an amount of time. It's speaking of a specific occasion that is a remarkable, notable, specific occasion. An occasion which is a part of God's divine master plan. An occasion that marks the beginning of a significant period. That's what this Greek word is. It, it, I can't pronounce it. I don't speak Greek. I just read Greek scholars. It's K-A-I-R-O-S is the English equivalent letters. It, 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 it speaks of something that is so momentous. It's changing things. But here's the problem. As I studied the use of that word, I realized that rarely were there events that signaled that it was that kind of a time. That God announced those times by giving a word to a man of God to speak it and announce it even though circumstances would not reflect that the period of time in which that's spoken would be considered so remarkable. In fact, he said to the, to Jerusalem just days before he was crucified, the scripture said he looked over the city and wept. He said, because, because you have, you have missed, you have not recognized the time, not period of time, not measured by calendar or clock, but the, the epical strategic time of your visitation. You missed it. Because you were looking for events that would tell you it's time. But biblically, if you don't believe it's that time until it's obviously that time, then you're on the outside looking in. You're a spectator. God never used those that had to have it proven to their eyes and their minds. In that epical strategic period. My, 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 my. Jesus name. Jesus name. Jesus name. In fact, he said to Jerusalem, you, you missed the signs. You missed the words that would have let you know that this was your epical strategic time. This was my opportunity, my occasion, my remarkably important period for you. And because you missed it, here are the judgments that are coming that you could have been spared from if you had not missed it. In other words, if it is such a momentous, remarkable Time in God's economy of things. There are benefits 
to recognizing it, responding to it. There are damages, consequences to missing it and not responding to it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you are determined to force God to let you see it before you believe it, you're going to be like Thomas. You're going to miss out because Jesus said, it's more blessed to believe without seeing. Why? Because faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the rhema of God, the supernatural utterance of the voice of God. And when you read Romans 10, you'll find that the great majority of time, the source of rhema in your life is not a still small voice. God can't trust you with a still small voice till you prove you're trustworthy with recognizing rhema coming through his vessel, his instrument. You mark that down in your book right there. Until you prove that you are trustworthy to hear rhema through a vessel of God's choosing, he's not going to trust you with your own still small voice. Why? Because if you say, I'm only going to believe it's a word from God if God speaks it to me. What you're really declaring is, I'm independent of God's plan. Oh, my, 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 my. I am not going to trust God. Let me tell you something. I didn't design this like this. And I've spent 47 years participating in it. But there's never a day that it's easy to be the old earthen vessel that God chooses to speak to humans through for their eternal salvation's sake. That's never easy. There's never a time that it's, that it's this most wonderful thing in the world. There's never a moment that the weight of that responsibility isn't suffocating if you don't let, let God help you to trust Him with that. To think, as Paul said, we, speaking of the ministry, are the savor of life unto some and the savor of death unto others. That we know that when we receive a word from God, you can have two people sitting on the same row, side by side, and one of them says, oh, thank God, I needed that, that, I, I, that, that's going to, that word's going to help me be saved. And the person next to them gets their feathers all ruffled and their steam coming out of their ears. They heard the same word said with the same vocabulary, with the same spirit and the same attitude. And one welcomes it and the other says, forget him and forget you, God. I'm not, nobody's talking to me like that. Sitting on the same row. Right beside each other. That's never ever failed to be a, a, a startling mystery to me. No matter how careful you think you are in crafting what you're saying. No matter with what sincerity or urgency you're saying it. 
it doesn't matter. Because the way you hear determines where your heart is. How can that be? <laughs> Let's just ask Nineveh. Nineveh. Nineveh was preached to by a man who so didn't want to preach to them that he did everything he could to avoid going there. And in running from God and the will of God, because he didn't want to preach to Nineveh, he ends up swallowed by a great fish. The Bible doesn't say whale. That's not in the Hebrew or the Greek. It's not a whale. I don't know what it was. But the Bible says God prepared a great fish. The man didn't want to preach to them. They were the enemies of Israel. He didn't want them to have mercy. But you know what? When you're in the belly of a fish and you're still alive, you, you're probably going to get real serious with God in your conversation. Lord, I tell you what, you get me out of here alive and I'll go preach to Nineveh. But I can preach, I can prove to you that even after all of that, he wasn't happy to be there and wasn't happy with what God did. Because after he preached and they fasted and prayed and repented and God forgave them, he was angry. And yet, hearing from a person that didn't care, would prefer them not have mercy. God using a vessel that could care less if they were saved. They heard God and were saved. That doesn't take the responsibility off a man of God to be as close to God's word and his God's attitude and spirit when he's speaking as it's possible to be. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just simply saying I don't care who's doing the talking. Some are going to be saved by it. And some are going to find an excuse in it to go the other direction. And so here we are. For months now, men of God have come through here. Men on this platform. And, and men of God. Men of God you've responded to. You've responded to them. Responded well to them have come through and told you it's God's time. It's a new season. The pastor said it before they got here. It's a new time. It's a new season. And every man of God that's been in this pulpit has come through here and said, it's a new season. It's a new time. I wonder who's still sitting on the shelf saying, I'm just going to wait and make sure it really is before I get all invested. I beg of you, dear ones, I beg of you, I beg of you. After 45 years of preaching to this church, I beg you, I beg you, don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to your place in this body. Don't do that. 
Because if you're here, God's got a place for you. He's got a place for you. He's got a place for those that used to be here that will come back. He's got a place for those that come that have never been here. He's got a place for us. He's not going to run out of important stuff for us to do if we want to be a part of it. The only question comes down to this. Are you going to trust him? Are you going to repent? Are you going to let him help you? Are you going to be a part? Are you? I've preached this many times. It is not possible for an unbeliever to sin. The Bible says, and the fearful, and the abominable, and the disobedient, and the unbeliever, etc., 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 all have their part in the lake of fire. But the Greek word, spelled the English equivalent letters, H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A, means to miss the mark. And those that don't believe God can't sin. They can't miss the mark. You can't miss something you're not trying to hit. And the root word of that word, verb, or that word is, or the verb to sin, the root word there is portion or share. So the Lord is saying that the sin is that I failed to value, to treasure the place that the Father planned for me in His body. I've said this so many times, just trying to make a point, okay? If I had the choice to preach in any pulpit in this entire world, 100 times out of 100, it would be this one. I don't care the size of the crowd or the prestige of the crowd. This is where I'm called. But in God's plan, I had to die out to that. Not my pulpit, his pulpit. He challenged me to make sure that I would not take ownership of that which is his. It's never been my pulpit. It's always been his pulpit. And he challenged me. And so now, in these last few years of my life, I don't mean... I've only got a few years left, but I mean, in the last, in the most recent past, he's sending me here and there doing this and that, and it's all great and wonderful and powerful, and I'm thankful to be a part of it. But if I had a choice, this is where I would be, and this is the pulpit I'd preach from. But it's not the will of God. It's not the will of God. You and I can like that or dislike that all we want. But it's not the will of God. And I'm at peace with the will of God. Spiritually. Emotionally, sometimes not so much. But that's different, see. Human emotions and what's in my spirit is two different things. And if you hadn't figured that out, it's time you did. Because human emotions are not supposed to make your decisions for you. It's what's in your spirit that's supposed to be the deciding factor. 
Let peace rule in your hearts, the scripture says. The word rule there means to be arbitrator, decision maker, umpire. And that's in your spirit. That's not, that's not in your human emotions. So please understand something. I, I know the pastor doesn't have any problem with me preaching when I feel it. But I, I don't, I don't ever say to him, I just be, I, I, I like to preach. Is that okay? No. He knows that I'm not asking to get up here. You say, ask? Yeah. That's his responsibility now. I'm not overriding that if I don't have any, unless I, I have no other choice. And I don't see having that choice since he's more than willing for me to do the will of God. The point I'm making with the rambling is that I'm not here because you're not believing everybody else. That's not the point. I'm here trying to say as clearly as I know how that this is God's season. And I'm begging you wonderful people, that have, especially those of you that have been here a long time, that seem to be sitting back letting everyone else do it now. You've done your part. Oh, please, 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 please. Please don't do that to yourself. Please, after, after being so, so critical in, in, in prayer and in, in work and labor to help get Antioch to this point, don't end up on the sidelines. Some of you remember when this church was almost all young people. And all the energy we had. Let me tell you something. That might be awesome to have that kind of energy. But it's not stable. It's the will of God for the body to be balanced. Where there is extremes in every possible direction. Socially, economically, racially, educationally. Because we're a body. We're not a bunch of clones. We're a body. This is the will of God for us to be this way. This is the will of God for this to be like this. The professional person sitting next to the laborer. All in the same body. No one looking down or up at somebody else. Because we're all brothers and sisters. That's the will of God. But oh, oh please. How tragic it would be. To be in this time when God is doing what he's doing and he is doing it and it's going to happen. To have you, some of you precious people with such an investment here sitting on the sidelines now giving your thumbs up and thumbs down on people. You never lived like that before and you can't get away with living like that now. And if you're practicing that, you need to find you some place to repent because you're in trouble with Jesus. He never gave you the right to sit and give your thumbs up and thumbs up, thumbs up and down on what's being said and done here. An epical, strategic period of time. An epical, strategic period, an epical, strategic period of time. Listen to this one. Matthew eleven twenty six, 26. 
At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. And no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Next verse. Come unto me. Did you see the two verses that were connected? Did you see that? That's just amazing. You say, well, what's the big deal? Permit me. Well, let me, uh, let me read those two, three verses real quickly, and then I, I'll go to that. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You, 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 you're followers of me, you believe in me, but you're so burdened down by life that you don't have time to really be involved with me. You talk to me, but you talk to me about what's going on in your life. Because you're not seeking how you fit into my plan. So if you lay all that down and come and get reconnected with me in what I'm doing, because I came to seek and save that which was lost, you come and get reconnected with me, and I'll give you, I'll give you uh, rest. You'll learn of me. Because this is where I wanted you to be. Now, listen to this. This is, we starting again with verse 25. Again, remember, verse 25 starts with, At that time Jesus answered. Listen to this. At that epical, strategic moment of time. Did you get that? At that, at that epical, strategic moment of time. Oh, Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. There's a spirit of revelation in this place. If you would open your heart to it, he would open your heart, your mind, your spirit, and you would know this is an epical, strategic moment in time. You know, I'm thankful for every, for the collection of every second of my life. Because I'm still here because of the collection of those seconds. I'm thankful for every collection of every minute of my life. Because of the collecting of those things, I'm still here. I'm thankful for every hour, every day, every week. And, and, and all of the collection of the hours, days, weeks, months, whatever. Because all of that means I'm still here. But you know and I know that in back, looking back on our lives, there were some moments that stood out beyond other moments. There were some minutes that stood out beyond other minutes. There were some, some hours, some days, some weeks that stood out beyond the others because it was so significant. It made itself notable, noticeable, remarkable, whether good or bad. Whether good or bad. Oh, dear ones. This is one of those moments. This is one of those seasons. It's a season. And why? Why must we recognize it? 
Why must we participate with it? Because God has made a promise that there is coming a day. He's going to fulfill the promise he made to Abraham with an oath. And he swore against his own deity. That he was going to do something in the earth. Beyond anything anybody can imagine. Do you know what it's going to take to be a part of that? You've got to learn the seasons. You've got to learn how to respond to the seasons. You've got to be involved with it. Because we don't ever know which epical strategic moment is the epical strategic moment that will usher in that day. We don't know. I believe the word of God. I believe with all my heart. So consequently, I really do my best as much as possible to avoid staying up on all the minutia that is available to us today through our multi-communication environment. Because those of you that do, you ride a roller coaster that I don't want on. Because my faith, my trust, my peace is in Jesus. And if you keep looking for things to get better, then you're not reading your Bible enough. And if you keep hoping that all of this is not going to start until sometime down the road after you've lived all you want to live, done all you want to do, and and all of that stuff. (laughs) Well, there's a slight problem, okay? And if you believe it, that's wonderful. If you don't believe it, it doesn't change a thing for me. But I've got a promise that I'm going to live to see the promises of God fulfilled to Antioch. And in just a few months, I'm going to be 70. I don't know what that means. You know, I really like to start counting backwards. So next February, I'm going to be 68 again. But the point is this. I don't know how much faith you've got for how long I'm going to live. But if you think God's just kicked back and you're going to see your grandchildren and none of this is going to happen, I've got 70 years of life and in February 58 years of experience with the indwelling Holy Ghost to tell you what he told me is the truth and I believe it with everything in me. I don't have any idea how many of my seven grandchildren are ever going to get to grow up and get married. I don't know. Sorry, Nathaniel. Girls, you got the best shot at it, but your dad's praying too good. There's nobody on the horizon, see? So, hallelujah. You're going to have to pray better than he's praying because it's working for him. <laughs> Keeping you at home. It's his little girls. See. But I don't know. Katie, I, I don't know if Hope and Charity will ever have a chance to be a wife. Forget being a mom. I don't know. I don't know. I know this one thing. 
Paul said it this way. I said it Thursday night. Our salvation is nearer than when we first began. I know to the world that the whole concept of that makes us sound like we're stupid. Blind, ignorant fools. Oh, there's some blind, ignorant fools in this world, but it's not those that believe the book. I wish you hadn't have done that. I really wish you hadn't have done it. I wish you hadn't have challenged me like that. I wish you had a, because I was doing good, ignoring what you've been feeding back coming my way, and I can't let this one go. So here you go. You asked for it. You got it. Okay? Romans chapter 1. And we'll begin reading with verse. Oh, let's try. We'll start with 10. Uh, Romans 1. <laughs> How about Romans 1.16? That's a good one. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Greek. Uh, what Greek? He was referring to the Greeks of the Greek world whose philosophies are still affecting our world today, 2,000 years later. The thinkers. The Greeks were the thinkers. Plato, and Aristotle, etc., etc., etc. I mean, if you go to college today and take anything other than 2 plus 2 is 4, they're going to teach you some, whether you want to know it or not, some Plato and Aristotle. That's the Greeks. And also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold, in the Greek word there, suppress, not possess, but suppress, who, who hold or suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I am, I was trained to be a mariner, a seagoing fellow. Okay, I took one full semester on celestial navigation. And for thousands of years, mariners at sea have gotten from point A to point B with no landmarks at sea. Based on one thing alone, the absolute unaltering consistent accuracy of the positioning of that which is in the heavens. And it's only been a couple of decades, just decades, that the GPS system has been reliable enough that we are now going against that. But hear me right now. They're still taught celestial navigation as a backup because machines can go down, but the stars are always there. 
And nobody, nobody that has any kind of intellectual integrity can stand out on a dark night and look at all of that and know that it got there. And if it got there randomly by some accident, how has it been so reliable for centuries? How? The things that can be known of God are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even His eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Hello? Most of you have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Most of you have been baptized in His name. Peter said in 1 Peter that that baptism of the Holy Ghost you've received is the, has made you a partaker of the divine nature. That word partaker means you've been given your portion or share of the divine nature. His spirit abiding in your spirit, making you a child of God. Because if any man has not, the Spirit of Christ, He is none of His. It's not about how much faith you've got, but whether or not you got the Spirit. Read it. Romans 8, chapter 9. Uh, chapter 8, verse 9. I didn't write that. I don't gloat over that. I don't have what I have because I'm better than anybody. I didn't receive the Holy Ghost because I earned it or deserved it. I received it by faith and the grace of God just like anybody else can receive it. But the bottom line is this, he said, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. Now you can blind yourself to that. You can ignore that if you want to. But that's what the book says. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. Well, see, it didn't say Holy Ghost. Oh, really? <laughs> Last time I checked, when in 15, 1611, when the King James was written, they believe that the ghost, a ghost was the spirit of one departed. And they coined the use of the word holy ghost to tell you where they believe what people were receiving came from. Spirit of Christ, spirit of the Lord. Christ spirit. How many spirits are there? One spirit. So when the Bible says spirit of the Father, uh, spirit of Christ, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, how many spirits is he talking about? One. So it doesn't matter whether it says if any man have not the spirit of Christ or any man has not the Holy Ghost, he's none of his. doesn't matter which, which terminology is used. There's only one spirit. There's only one spirit. I didn't write that. I'm not up here doing a jig. Oh, we're better than you are. Are you kidding? Are you kidding me? The Bible says if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the sinner and the ungodly appear? It's nobody going to be prancing into heaven saying, okay, now that I'm here, we can go get on with it because I am here. No, no. If the righteous scarcely be saved, 
That's why in heaven, when we, we're going to fall down below his throne, before his throne, take our crowns, our Stephanos, our victor's crowns. Not diademia crown of royalty, but a victor's crown. And we're going to cast it at his feet and say, you're worthy. Because all we did was make the decisions that let you get us here. Because he couldn't violate our own will. He can't violate your will, will not violate your will. We cannot and will not violate your will. That's the only thing we did to get there. The rest of it is him. He gets all the credit for that. So we take off those crowns of victory and cast them at his feet because he's worthy. Now, here's the problemo. Oh, it's too quick. Sorry. The problem is what do we do to participate in this season? First of all, Matthew chapter 16, verse 2 says, and don't forget, this is the chapter in which he first pronounces that he will build a church. Just a few verses after this, Matthew 16, 2. He said, he answered and said unto them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. Oh, ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot, you, you, but can you not discern the signs of the times? Weasts. But he answering and said unto them, or said to them, evening having come, you are accustomed to say, fair weather, for the sky is reddening, and in the morning, today, stormy, for the sky is reddening and is becoming covered with clouds. You possess indeed an understanding based upon experience to pass a discriminating judgment upon the face of the sky. But on the other hand, with reference to the attesting miracles of the epical strategic periods of time, are you not able to pass a discriminating judgment? You can discern the sky and the weather, but you have no ability to discern my epical, strategic seasons without signs. And it's a wicked and an adulterous generation, the scripture says, that seeks after a sign. Because what God gives is rhema. He gives the word and expects us to recognize in our spirit that words come from God and to hear that word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word and then seizing that word or, 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 or embracing that word and, 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 and taking it into us and taking ownership of it. I believe it, Father. I believe it. It doesn't matter how long it takes for you to manifest this word. I've got faith that doesn't require seeing to believe. I Believe the word. And therefore, I'm not waiting until I see something happening to begin to prepare myself. My, my God. 
to begin to prepare myself to be a part of what you said you're going to do. He gives us his word in advance to give us the opportunity to believe and prepare. He says to Noah, I'm going to destroy this world with a flood. But you found grace in my sight. Now here's what to do. I want you to build this ark and I want you to build it exactly like this. Well, you know what? If God's going to destroy the world with a flood and he told four men and four women to build a boat that's 450 feet long, that probably means it's not going to rain tomorrow. Hello? So that announcement, Noah, you've just entered into an epical, strategic moment of time. The fact that it was 125 years before it rained is not relevant. Because God knew that He wasn't going to miraculously help them instantaneously build that ark. And since they heard from God and were doing what God said, they didn't slack. They weren't lazy with it. They did. They applied themselves every day as the Lord led them to it. But they never doubted it was going to happen. And what that meant was that when it rained, there were eight saved. Eight. Because they were the ones that believed the rhema and applied it to their lives. Matthew 24, verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? We saw in Luke 21 that these end-time events are part of an epical, strategic period of time. So he's talking about this in Matthew. When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? And of the end of the world, not the end of the earth. People, excuse the terminology. I understand that it's probably offensive to some. So be it. I'm just making a point here. Okay. So many people in the world poo-poo what the word of God says. Because I don't believe the world is coming to an end. No, the earth is not. But the world there is cosmos speaking of this world system of things. Who's in charge and how they run things is going to come to an end on the entire planet earth. You don't believe that. You know what? You ought to hope I'm right. Because man and our governments are messing it up bad enough as it is right now. And if you think man is going to come up with a solution how to fix all this, forget it. Because man has a problem. Man wants to be in charge. Man wants to be in control. Man wants to be God. And there's too many of those people throughout the world for all of them to agree to let one of them be that person. Of course, until the devil comes incarnate in that one man, and then they will give in to him because they don't have a choice. But it won't last long. 
So when's, when are these things going to be? And what shall be the sign of their coming into the, the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all these things, excuse me, must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. You see, because every pregnant woman knows sorrows have a beginning. Because the Greek word translated sorrow, there is a pang or throw, T-H-R-O-E, especially of childbirth. Thayer says it means a pain of childbirth, travail pain, birth pangs. The scripture says the whole creation groaneth. And in anticipation of the manifestation of the sons of God. The groaning. I have had the opportunity to be with my wife. I said this Thursday night, I believe. As she went through labor three times. And I've said this many times. And I will say this many more times. By the time I leave this earth one way or the other. I can understand a woman having one child because no matter who tries to tell you what it's like till you've experienced it, you can't really understand it. But how in the world can a woman willingly go back through that the second time, the third time, the fourth time? How? You know what it's going to be like. You know what it's going to feel like. You know, hey, I'm going to tell you something right now. <laughs> we got the pictures to prove it. When Mother Wright was carrying the pastor, she didn't even wear maternity clothes till she was eight months. If you didn't look real close, you wouldn't even know she was pregnant. With this one, she was bigger than that. By her fourth month. I mean. I went oh God. I hope they know what they're talking about. Because we're about to have a whole company. (laughs) I mean. And I'm thinking to myself. We've already been through this. She lost our first one at five months. But she went through all the labor. Then she had Pastor David. So I already have some idea what to expect here. And, and, and even the, the old man who hadn't actually experienced it just watched it. He's thinking, well, labor can't be as bad as this. Because there's no way to get comfortable. There's no way to sit, stand, lay down. There's no way. Nothing feels right. No, nothing, nothing, nothing's right. Nothing's right. And you think to yourself, come on, let's get on with it, because it can't be this bad. Oh, wait a minute, I've already been there twice. And I wasn't the one feeling the pain. 
Well, I was. Just the Lord miraculously let my hands work afterwards. But seriously. But when that pain started, Joel was two weeks late. We actually went to the hospital that day because they were going to induce her out of concern that if it went much longer, both her and the baby were in danger. We showed up there at 8 o'clock in the morning on September the 12th, 1980. They prepped her to induce. But before they could do a thing, she went into labor. And according to the birth certificate, at exactly 12 noon, not 11.59, not 12.01, exactly 12 noon on the 12th of September, 1980, she had a baby. But let me tell you something. It was four hours of labor. But she must have been convicted of a horrible crime because it was hard labor. Excuse the pun. I doubled the metaphors there. Did you catch that? Did you catch it? It was hard labor. It was hard labor. The first time with David, they thought she was so far from delivering, they let her sit out in the waiting room with me and her mother. And she's laying on the couch in the waiting room with her head in my lap going through all this pain. That was before they let dads go back. And they come and get her to check on her, just see how she was doing. And about a half hour later, they came and said, well, Mr. Wright, you got a son. What? You let my wife lay out here that long? Well, hear me. They told her after that was over, Mrs. Wright, you're born to do this. I wouldn't hesitate next time. Because you're not, you might not get there in time. Well, I don't know about all that. Because the Lord didn't, he, he fixed it where she couldn't get pregnant. It was medically impossible. In fact, after she was pregnant, the doctor did a visual examination of the inside and said it was not only, she was not only pregnant, it was impossible for her to get pregnant. And that's a, that's a, a part of medical record. She wasn't supposed to be able to get pregnant. They said it was impossible. But you know what? None of that happened without travail. None of that happened without travail. This church, over the last 18 plus years, has been very heavily involved in the spirit of travail, uh, of warfare intercession. But that's got to change. And the Lord's already tried to change it. And he's going to try again tonight.
I was uh, teaching that seminar in uh, San Antonio. And uh, Brother Sister Stewart, your pastor from San Antonio, came up to me. He said, Brother Wright, I, I need to talk to you. He said, uh, we, we've read the manual through a couple of times, your war, spiritual warfare manual. We've prayed. We've fasted. We've fought against the prince. And we believe we've been given promise that we've defeated the prince. But there's been no harvest. Why? I said, well, brother, just give me a couple of sessions and tell me if you got your answer. A couple of months ago, I think it was a Thursday night, I called up Brother Stephen Lennonkamp and a bunch of young men, and I made the statement. And some of you long-standing intercessors here got a little bit irritated with me because I said that God was shifting the burden of warfare off of the current crop of intercessors who, are most, who have mostly been ladies to this group of young men. To do the warring. And God moved that night. It was awesome stuff that took place. And we still need that. But if you remember. I asked for all of those intercessors. That's been intercessors for a while. To come over here. And I said God wants to give you. The spirit of travail intercession. But I had a lot of pouting. And not a lot of praying going on. Oh, I, a bunch of you tried. But you felt like you were devoted. Don't tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. Don't say that to me again. I'll point you out. Don't know what I'm talking about. You got a little bit big, big for your britches. I said, some of you got offended at that. You thought you were getting demoted. But you hear me right now. Defeating the gates, binding the princes, is only preparation. It's only preparation. Because... Let me just read to you, okay? Let me find it real quick. The Lord's here kind of moving this around a little bit, which is his prerogative. Here it is. This is this. Isaiah 66, verse 7. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came and she was delivered of man-child. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day or shall a nation be born at once? Yes, in May 1948, a nation was born in a day. How? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth 
her children. Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth? Saith the Lord, shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, saith the Lord? Now listen to this, the easy to read version. This says it really well from what I've looked at and, it, and what the, the words mean and all of that. This says it the best of any of the translations that I've seen so far. It's really easy to understand. A woman does not give birth before she feels the pain. A woman must feel the pain of childbirth before she can see the boy she gives birth to. Who ever heard of such a thing? In the same way, no one ever saw a new world begin in one day. No one has ever heard of a new nation that began in one day. But when Zion feels the pain, she will give birth to her children. In the same way, I will not cause pain without allowing something new to be born. The Lord says this, I promise that if I cause you the pain of birth, I will not stop you from having your new nation. Your God says this. The Bible in basic English of verse 9 says it this way. Will I by whom the birth was started not make it complete? Says the Lord. Will I who make children come to birth let them be kept back? Says your God. I love you Antioch. I love you. I don't want to see you hurting. But you're going to travail one of two ways. You're going to voluntarily, willingly, submit yourself as conduits for the spirit of travail intercession. Or God is bringing the pain of trouble your way. But he will bring travail. Because he's ready for there to be birth. It is your choice. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. It is your choice. It is your opportunity to have faith and willingly submit yourself to the spirit of travail intercession. And go through the sorrows of travail to birth these babies. We have prayed so much. We have warred so much. We have bound devils so much. Let me tell you something. That's all great and wonderful. But it is preparation. You bind the strong man house to set the captives free. And if a baby in a womb is not a captive, you tell me if there's ever been one. And there is a harvest that only begins with 500 souls. That is in the womb of this church. It is trapped there. In the womb. But the question is. Is this church going to be willing. To voluntarily. At the direction of the word of God. And the leading of the Holy Ghost. Enter into that travail. And travail. Until those babies are born. Or does God. Out of love for you. And for the babies that you are pregnant with, have to bring trouble and pain to get you in travail some other way. For some, travail starts naturally. For some, it has to be induced by an outside force. 
Some of you ladies that have been so powerfully, and others that have been so powerfully used in warfare intercession, you're wondering, what's wrong with me? Why am I having such a hard time entering into that? Because God has taken you to a new level. Because travail intercession is, is the most critical of the two. Because you can beat all the, defeat all the devils you want. But if nobody does the travail and goes through the birth pains, there can't be babies born. In your ministry individually, that's a part of this church or in this church corporately, or in this district or this nation or this world, babies won't be born without prevail. Those that are called to be used of warfare, especially the young that have the energy to continue to fight. Let me tell you something. What does the spirit of warfare do? It surrounds and protects the mother who's in travail. That's what a husband's supposed to do. He doesn't birth the babies, but he provides safety and protection for the mother who's in travail. God didn't call some of you to travail. He called you to war. But you don't war for the sake of warring. You don't war so you can brag that the devils are subject to you. Like the the, the 70 did when they came back. Jesus redirected their passion and said, no, 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 no. No, rejoice over names being written in the book of life. We don't prance around and brag about the number of devils we defeated. We defeat the devil so we can travail and see babies born. Every city that this, this church influences, every neighborhood, every community, every job, there's somebody for travail. Is everybody in this church called to travail? Of course not. But hear me. In this particular church, you're either called to war or you're called to travail. Do your part. It's time. This is an epical, strategic time in God for this church Angie I want you on the floor right here in the middle Esther I want you right over here Elizabeth I want you over there on the floor it can it's okay if you're if it's a man I prayed travail before But I especially want those ladies, I especially want those ladies that were used in warfare intercession, that you feel like you've lost your place. I want you to come join these ladies in travail. Come. 
Kate, there's two reasons I haven't called you. First of all, God's not shifting you primarily from warfare. And I don't want you praying like that on that repair. Okay? Come on. I have asked you if you are a, an intercessor, especially if you have been an intercessor in this church, to come to the front and move into travail. Because God has called you to that. Brethren, it's, it's possible that there are some that are called to travail. But if you're not, brethren, then some brethren need to move into warfare now to protect those that are praying. In the name of Jesus, come on. The way it is with labor pain is you don't know which pain is the time to push. And you don't know which push is going to deliver the baby. So you feel the pain and you push. And you feel the pain and you push. Those of you that have been intercessors, it's time to understand that God has transitioned you for His purpose, for His kingdom. It's time. It's time. In the name of Jesus. Come on. The Holy Ghost is bearing witness here tonight. The Holy Ghost is bearing witness. It's time for the birth. It's time for the birth. It's time for the birth. Come on, those of you that are warfare intercessors. I need some warfare prayed to protect those that are in travail. Come on. Stephen, I'm not saying any, there's not a thing I've said here tonight that says that we don't no longer need warfare. We got to keep pressing. We, there are gates, plural. We keep pulling down gates. Pull down the gates. Let them do the birthing. Come on. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on. The Holy Ghost is working here right now. You're not making this up. That's the Holy Ghost. That's the Holy Ghost you feel it. My God. It's time for the birth. In the name of Jesus.
in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Tie kahala ratatata kahaya. Tie kie kahaya. Roboko shatata bahaya. Romana ye. Shesekiata tie kala ratatahaya. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Mahalarororobukurata tabahai. Tiala mute. Tiala mute. Yakia bataya bahasi. Tiala batu musikia bahaya. Loruta bahaya. Loruta bahaya mosi. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Flow, Holy Ghost. Flow, Holy Ghost. Flow, Holy Ghost. Hello, Lord, Lord, The book says, as soon as Zion travailed, babes were born. Come on. He promised that he wouldn't bring us to the birth and then not bring the children forth. In Jesus' name, receive strength to deliver. In Jesus' name, receive strength to deliver. Tiela mana haya, tiela barata tata baba kahaya. Eki ana mana mana mahaya na mama hase. Woo ha ha. Hello bo robo kushaya. Hello bo robo kushaya. Sikaya, Sikahasiya, Woo! Ha ha! My 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 la 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 la
Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Ha ha ha. mana mana mama Oh, hallelujah. Jesus name, Jesus name, Jesus name. Come on, come on. I know some of you have emptied it all out, but let's go just a little bit farther, could we? Let's go just a little bit farther. Come on, just a little bit farther. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. My. Robohu Rababakashaya Rabatasisia Ratatababasia Rotababakashisi Romokosai Ratabahai 
If you need to go, you're welcome to go. But we're not stopping this. When the Lord's done, those of you that agreed to help, brother, whoever's working downstairs with this, brother Johnson, are you are you doing something downstairs? Those of you that agreed to help, if you're not praying, if you go downstairs and help, brother Johnson, we don't want to keep people for a long time. But if you're going to stay, would you pray? Would you pray? If you're going to stay, would you pray? Come on. Come on, let's just press a little bit. Let's press past flesh. We're not pressing God. We're pressing past flesh. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 